0: it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Am I fighting for or against God? Coming up in this episode... You would think that choosing to fight for God instead of against Him would be an easy and well-defined decision to make, but what if it's not? What if we can easily fall into the trap of thinking we are fighting for Him, when in fact we are standing against Him? How can we avoid this debacle? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years.
0: It's great to be with you.
1: Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode?
0: 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As a Christian, we never
1: want to be in a situation where we end up fighting against God, and yet we may end up in this position more often than we'd expect. To fight for God is to stand for His principles, His plan, and His purposes as outlined in Scripture. Now, this sounds simple, but it's really not. We find ourselves fighting against Him when we are misinformed or misguided, and we take a stand for something that is less than godly. Sometimes, we mistakenly or purposefully misrepresent God's Word or focus on motivation that is less than spiritually pure. It's easy to look at our thoughts and preferences and interpret them as, quote, God's will, unquote, for us, and then pursue them with confidence. So how do we know if we're really on God's side or someone else's side in these circumstances? So so Jonathan, there's a lot to cover here. It's a fight. Are we fighting for God or are we fighting against God?
0: As we look at what it means to fight against God, We will only focus on those who, by all accounts, should be fighting for God. We want to learn what went wrong and how to recognize the symptoms and what we can do to avoid these senseless battles. We will begin with the obvious case of Jonah, a prophet of God who absolutely knew better.
1: All right, so we're going to get into the story of, of Jonah, just overview and look at what happened. How did he stand for God? How did he fight against God? And Jonathan, really the bottom line here as we get started is living a life for godly principles. That's what this is. That's what our fight is really for. And it really comes down to what we say, and it comes down to how we live. So let's look at that. Let's apply that. Sometimes fighting against God is painfully obvious,
0: We all have within us painful prejudices that can trigger our fighting against God.
1: So this is a key. Think about painful prejudices and the painful obviousness of those things when we examine them. As we're going to see through a brief recap of the experiences of Jonah, we only need to have the right buttons pushed, and suddenly, what are we doing? We're fighting against God. Let's take a brief look at Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, let's start with verses 1 to 3.
0: The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it, and go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But, but wait, Rick, Jonah was a prophet of God. How could this happen?
1: (laughs) He was. He was a prophet of God. He was not only a prophet, he's given a specific command by God. Go to Nineveh and tell them their destruction is looming unless they repent. And how this happened is he had a deep-seated prejudice against those people. He didn't want them to survive. And so he decided to follow his own feeling instead of the clear-cut commitment to be the prophet of God that he was supposed to be.
0: But God didn't give up on him because he went the wrong way. See how patient and merciful God is? Yeah,
1: yeah and, 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 and you're giving a good part of the story that comes later. You're going to see the mercy of God in getting the work done that he wants us to get done, even if we're fighting him along the way. So there, there's a really good lesson here. So let, let's develop this. Jonah clearly drew his own line in the sand and got on that ship to run away. Now, what happens in the story, a storm arises, the ship is in danger, and Jonah is revealed as the cause of their life-threatening voyage. And when he's revealed as the danger, uh, he, he basically tells them, hey, I worship the God who created all things and the God who made the sea. So, I mean, these guys are scared <laughs> to death, and he's saying, you know, this this is me, and he, 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 he actually reveals that truth. Let's go to Jonah chapter 1, verses 10 to
0: 12. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah does admit
1: that he ran from God, and he is willing to sacrifice himself to save others. Now, look, this is a very noble gesture on his part. He cares about their lives, but it also showed the depth of his disobedience, the the disobedience issues he had as a prophet, because why are you in this situation? Because you ran away from God. And so at this point, it looks like it's going to cost him his life because he's trying to save these people. Now, it's interesting that he cares about the people on the boat, but doesn't care at all about the people of Nineveh. Just, that is a good point. Yeah, <laughs> just, just saying. So now what happens? Jonah 1, 17.
0: And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights.
1: So we've got this, and everybody knows the story of, it's called Jonah and the whale, but it, the, the scriptures actually call it a great fish. So he's he's been swallowed by this fish, and it's not looking good. Jonah is fighting against God, and it brought him to the brink of death. And it's here, in the belly of the fish, where it's dark and murky and must smell like all get-out, This is where he begins to actually see things. Jonah chapter 2, verses 7 through 9.
0: While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord.
1: So in this scripture, he says, but uh, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Let me translate in terms of our, our podcast today. Those who follow their own desires are fighting against God, and they forsake their faithfulness to the God that they said that they would serve. So God sees this heart, and he delivers Jonah. And then once he delivers Jonah, he says, Okay, I told you once, I'm telling you again. Go do what I asked you to do. And this time Jonah complies. Let's go to
0: Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called and fasted and put on sackcloth, and the greatest to the least of them. Well, Rick, it's amazing what Jonah did in one day to turn the people from sin. The whole city, well over 100,000 people, repented. Yeah,
1: and you think about that, and it is, it's incredibly remarkable. And you say, why why, Jonah? Because he had an incredible ability to proclaim the Word of God. This is why he's a prophet of God. The problem is that within himself, he had a propensity to fight God if it wasn't going the way he thought it should go. So you have this great ability to stand for God while you're inside yourself fighting against him. There's there's a huge contradiction And we need to look at ourselves and say, wow, that's something that we need to watch out for. So Jonah has great success, working to fulfill God's will and not fighting against God. So you think, wow, okay, he finally got it. All is balanced, right? Well, let's look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 3.
0: But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. So, so l- l- let me just translate a little bit of the scripture. Please,
1: Lord, was this not what I said while I in my own country? God, I knew you were merciful. And I knew that if they heard the word and they repented, they would be forgiven and given a new lease on life. I knew that. And you think, wait, wait, and you're arguing with that? (laughs) But see, this is, Jonathan, this is that internal fight against God. He had this prejudice that would not let go. And he's literally, he's arguing with God and says, I should die. I mean, I've converted all these people away from sin, for now at least, I should die. This is where he goes. he, He struggles with fighting against God, and these struggles were not over. While he did accomplish God's will in relation to the city of Nineveh, he was still fighting against God inside on a very
0: personal level. In episode 1202, Is Anyone Listening to the Wisdom of the Bible?, we covered many principles on wisdom that we will touch on today. Go to ChristianQuestions.com or the CQ app and enter the episode number into the search bar, 1202.
1: Yeah, and, and wisdom plays a huge part in understanding the fight for or against God because things that often look like they may be good, and we're going to get into this later on in the podcast, end up not being so. And we need that spiritual wisdom to help us discern those things and move forward. But right now, we need to wrap up uh, the 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 brief look at the life of Jonah. And, and what it comes down to, Jonathan, is we need to learn from the good that Jonah accomplished. He did good work. And we also need to learn from the struggle that he continued with. Both of those things are our lessons. That's what it's there for, to teach us. So let's look in terms of putting this in perspective into Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 and 21.
0: Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
1: If you want to fight for God, this scripture talks to us about the God of peace, first of all, and then us being equipped— from the inside, to be able to fight actually for him instead of following our own thoughts and emotions and all of that. We need to be equipped through Christ. The blood of Jesus gives us the ability to be transformed from the inside out. It is through his sacrifice that we can be truly equipped to fight God's battle in God's way. Well, what about me? Could I be a Jonah? Yeah, you know, we got to be careful and ask ourselves that question because we can outwardly do God's will, but what's the battle on the inside? And Jonah's battle raged on after he did the good work that he did. And and the book of Jonah ends abruptly with Jonah being faced with a big question about his own life. So, could I be a Jonah is a relevant question. On the outside, it may look great, but what's happening inside.
0: So, well, we don't want to be pharisaical, uh, clean on the outside, but on the inside full of dead men's bones and full of uncleanness, like it says in Matthew 23, 27.
1: Yeah, and that's a good example bringing it up to date and to Jesus' day, that idea of that's a Jonah-like approach. All good on the outside, but on the inside, something's wrong and you're fighting God. So Jonathan, the bottom line is we need to learn to fight the right fight. What do we have here?
0: There are many battles we will fight in our lives, both internally and externally. Just because we come around to fight for God externally does not mean we are fighting for Him internally. Let us Not be satisfied with the external victories, but instead, seek to be genuinely equipped as God's soldier from the inside out.
1: And that's the key. It's great to have those external victories, but what is the internal battle showing us? Let's focus on being genuinely equipped from the inside out. So seeing the experience of Jonah can be unsettling and make you wonder how much you fight against God on the inside
0: Jonah is a sobering example of personal battles with God. Can we have community-based battles with God as well? That's an interesting
1: question, community-based battles. Fighting against God is not limited to what goes on between our own ears. The whole aspect of agreeing with others who should know better but end up fighting against God is another eye-opener. This is another example of how careful we have to be regarding how we handle the input that we receive. So in Jonah's example, it was really a personal thing. It was that personal input. You're talking to yourself. You have your predetermined emotional perspective, and it ends up fighting against God. And that can be painfully obvious when we look at it uh, in, in the mirror. In this next portion, building on that painfully obvious fighting against God, fighting against God now sometimes can creep up on us
0: this creeping approach takes hold when we are internally only partially committed to God's will and way so
1: now we're going to focus on how it can creep up on us now fighting against god can imperceptibly take hold okay when an issue arises that is an actual real legitimate Godly concern. Now, this is a fascinating example scripturally that we want to expand on 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 a couple of different levels. So, this taking hold, let's look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to start with verses 1 and 3.
0: And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Well, Israel didn't stumble into wanting a king. They were set on having one, and they saw this as their opportunity.
1: Yeah, and we're going to see that unfold as this story develops. But here's the point. Uh, Samuel's sons are not walking in just and godly ways. So you've got a, a, a legitimate concern arising here. But we're focusing on the fighting against God principle. So fighting against God... Once you have that imperceptible taking hold, it begins to reveal itself when we take this legitimate concern and we use this legitimate concern as an excuse to follow a path that suits us and helps us, uh, you know, feel comfortable, get what we want, make things good for me. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5.
0: Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Well, let me pause here, Rick. This is a good point. The sons of Samuel were evil. No wonder they wanted a change. This is a matter of principle.
1: It is. It's a matter of absolute, positive, clear principle. Your sons, Samuel, are not following God's ways. We're taking issue with that. That sounds awesome. Now
0: let's finish the scripture, though. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Say what? So so think, think, think
1: about this for a second. Because Samuel's sons were corrupt, they were the corrupt representatives of God, of a God-sanctioned system, no less. The people used that as an excuse to replace the system, not the people.
0: Legitimate problem, wrong solution. What does that mean? Can we reframe a legitimate problem for our own purposes? It's exactly what it means. And, and Israel shows us, don't try
1: this at home, but Israel shows you how to do that. You take that legitimate concern and then you build on something and you come up with a different answer that wasn't godly intentioned.
0: Well, we latch on to a principle and we want to get what we want. That's human nature, but it's not spiritual godliness. And that's the point, and that was the
1: problem that Israel had, and, and that's the problem that God would discuss with Samuel. This was a huge problem, and this, this, this fighting against God came from taking a legitimate concern and creating a solution that was not legitimate. So fighting against God results in displeasing God because it's a rejection of, of God's sovereignty. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's go to verses 6 to 7,
0: and then verse 9. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them. Now then, listen to their voice, however, You shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So God knew
1: the people were fighting against him. So what did God do? Did he strike them down? No. God let them fight.
0: And he didn't interfere with their
1: free will. And that's a really important point. And, you know, when we look at this example, the people really did have an agenda, and we want to look at this example and say, okay, but what if you don't have an agenda but end up getting stuck with an agenda? In other words, you don't have a, 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 a visible agenda, but you take that legitimate principle and you say, huh, this could be an opportunity to really kind of do it my way and I can stand on righteousness because that's what they were doing. And it was all wrong and it ended up helping them to fight against God, their deliverer. So God can use our fighting against him as a harsh object lesson for us, and that's what he did with Israel. Samuel gives the people grave warnings about what having a king is going to bring, and we're going to highlight just a few of those warnings. And as we do that, notice the underlining theme of how this fight against God is actually replacing God with a human king. And Jonathan, these first verses are really powerful. First Samuel chapter eight, let's go to verse uh, 12 to start with.
0: He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equip for his chariots. Rick, this reminds me of the verse in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, where Satan's heart is being revealed. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will do this and that. Well, there are five eyes stated there, and in First Samuel, uh, the verses we read, there are many times the word his or himself are there, and were used to describe what the king. Will do to the Israelites.
1: Yeah, there's actually five himself or his in that verse as well. (laughs) And and it's a very strong comparison because it's taking God out of the picture and putting something else into the picture. This is classic fighting against God. So, Samuel, God tells Samuel, this is what's going to happen, and this is how I want you to warn the people. God, and here's the thing He talks about uh, he'll appoint himself commanders of thousands and of fifties. He's using multiples of 10. Now, think about this. God's system of judges broke the oversight of the people down by multiples of ten. And now the king, this human king, is going to use those same kind of multiples for his own benefit.
0: Well, uh, fighting together against God supports the wrong sources of authority.
1: So it's taking the numerical values of God managing the people and making it all to the advantage of the king. Now, there's a fighting against God in a togetherness, a group fight against God. It's not just me now, it's we, it's all together. And when you're supporting the wrong authority, you're fighting God. Let's go a little further in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let's go to verse 14, another
0: warning. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. So here he
1: goes again. Take the best of all of your stuff, and it goes to, the winner is? The king's servants, what about you? Weren't you the one who developed it? The fields were originally divided among the tribes. God's system of equity originally would now become the king's self-sustaining system. There's a, there's a massive disconnect when you put a human being in the place of God Almighty, and this has to do with fighting together against God. Jonathan, what do we have?
0: Well, fighting together against God feeds the best results to those who are in support of human authority rulers and leaves God completely out of the picture.
1: It's a matter of who we're choosing to serve and who we're choosing to follow. And in Israel's case, they were choosing to follow human ego, human propensity, human greed, all of that humanity, and leave the equity that God gave them completely out of the picture. Let's continue a little bit more of the warning from 1st Samuel chapter 8. Let's go to verses 15 and 17.
0: He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants.
1: So, so, so get this. You've got this tenth of your seed and, and, and a tenth of your flocks. That's just like the tithing. Remember the tithing that God put in place? So on top of the best of the fields and vineyards going to the king, God's system of tithing is now corrupted to support, because it used to support the priesthood. It was for this, because they didn't have an inheritance in the land. Now suddenly it's to support the king and his servants. So you take the priesthood, and it's like, wait, where? Do they, they just don't matter so much anymore. Why? Because you have a king. And the king is everything. The king is glorious. The king has splendor. The king has power. The king, other, other countries look and say, wow, look at your king. Look at all he has. And you've, you've, you've forsaken God Almighty. And there was such a, a wonderful equity in the tithing of the people. It was a random tithing. They would take, they, they'd count their cattle and one out of every 10 would go to the priesthood. And when the priesthood received the cattle and the goods of the land, it wasn't random. They had to take the best 10th and then offer it to God. So you had this honoring of God that got completely turned upside down, and it became honoring the king. What's wrong with this picture? Everything. Again, fighting against God together, what do we have?
0: Fighting together against God and supporting human authority undermines all of what God put in place to support us as his people. Israel wanted to be like everyone else. How about us? is our christianity and the group that we're in in an environment that says we don't want to be that different Hmm. if we are we are fighting against god because christianity by definition means we must be different
1: yeah and remember israel said we want to be like other nations we want to have a king we don't want you nailed it we don't want to be that different if we don't want to be that different we don't want to be that christian Let's get it straight, and you're fighting against God. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 8 uh, and and the results now of this fighting against God and and what God warns the
0: people is going to happen, verses 18 through 20. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. Go before us and fight our battles. Really? As if God hadn't done that already? Hello,
1: is anybody home? We have to be careful. We can look at that and say, Wow, they're really off. What about me? What about where I am? What about the group that I'm a part of? Am I going down this same road? See, God's promise to hear and help his chosen people would be silenced as they put their true heavenly king aside in favor of a
0: sinful man. And Jonathan, what does that mean? Fighting together against God takes us out of his grace and favor. Hey, if we're in a congregation and we want to be like the rest of the world, and we draw people in with all those worldly kinds of things to make it seem acceptable, We're taking ourselves out of earshot with God. That's a sad thing.
1: It is. It's a sad thing, and it's done in the name of Christ, just like they're doing it in the name of of being God's chosen people, and it's a very hypocritical way to go. That's really what it boils down to. So we look at this this account, and we say, wow, there's a lot of fighting against God, and it's as a nation, as a group. So just because it's not just you doesn't mean you're not getting in that fight against him. Our together actions— always need to be under the highest principles of godly righteousness, period. End of statement. Hebrews 13, 15 to 17.
0: Through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Well, wait a minute, Rick. What about the leader from the worldly church? Submit to him? Really? Well, it does say obey your leaders, but we have to remember
1: what leaders we're talking about. In our theme scripture, it talks about um, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. With whom? With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Those are the leaders that this is talking about obeying and submitting to, because they're godly. They're not helping us fight him. They're helping us to stand for him instead.
0: What about the elders of the people? They were not uh, appreciative, uh, appropriate leaders. Samuel was. Right. They chose to override Samuel, so they chose their own leadership, a king, and threw the prophet of God away.
1: They did. And the, when you throw the prophet of— Look, there's never a good ending when the the representative of God gets shunned. And you saw how Israel fell into all kinds of difficulty and sin there. So this is a lesson for us. It was a group decision. It was a group thinking that brought them away from God. How is our group thinking working? How do we learn to fight
0: the right fight here? It has been said that there is safety in numbers, and that can be true. However, there can also be the temptation to compromise in numbers. This can easily be fed by those numbers being willing to meet and settle at the lowest common denominator. To fight for God is to find the highest and most biblically sound common point and together strive towards it. So we're either settling to the lowest common
1: denominator as a group, or we are collectively striving for the highest biblically sound principles. Which way are we going will determine whether we're fighting for or against our Heavenly Father. So, the nation of Israel can be a powerful reminder of how easy it is to fall into the complacency of being just like everyone else.
0: Does fighting against God ever happen when we don't want it to? Can we fight God by accident? Good question. Because we're imperfect human beings, a lot of things
1: can happen to us that we do not intend. We can inadvertently fight against God, and it can happen right when we think we're standing for him. We can either be depressed by this, or we can take it as a spiritual call to action. So let's be responsible for what we are given to know. So Jonathan, as we embark on this third segment, you know, the the bottom line here is our hearts, yeah, they are generally in the right place. But because we live in sinful bodies with sinful desires, we have a lot of checking up to do to make sure that that heart, which may be in the right place,
0: is actually going
1: in the actual right direction.
0: Fighting against God can be subtle and very unintentional. So we
1: started out in the first segment, fighting against God can be painfully obvious. Then the last segment, fighting against God can creep up on us. And now fighting against God can be subtle, And very unintentional. Fighting against God will always, at some point, manifest itself in an inflated view of someone or something that challenges the sanctity of God, his Word, or his Son, Jesus. We're going to look at an example of the Apostle Peter. Peter, here in this example, had an inflated view of his own courage and fidelity, and he needed to learn the hard way. Peter did not intentionally fight against God in this example. But he had to grow into his fidelity towards God. And Jonathan, we actually used this scripture in our podcast last week when we were talking about prayer. Uh, And we want to expand on it a, a little bit further. So we're going to look at Luke 22, verses 28 to 34. These are the words of Jesus the night before his crucifixion.
0: You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned away, turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And we have an addition to this. You know, we talked about Luke last week. But here is what Matthew says about this account. And that's found in Matthew 26, 35. And he adds, Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing, too. So you have Jesus being
1: very specific and talking to them about scattering. And Peter says, oh, no, no, not me. And Jesus, uh, Jesus says, oh, yes, you. And he's very specific. And after Jesus is specific that he's going to deny him three times, Peter says, nope, nope, I'm sorry, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Even if I have to die with you, I will not, de- not deny you. So he's, he's determined that he's going to stand by the Lord.
0: Well, Rick, Peter's heartfelt conviction that he would never leave. Is is that wrong?
1: You know, it's not wrong, but here's the problem. The problem was it was Peter's gut. It was his emotion that was speaking. He didn't have the courage yet in his life to actually stand when he needed to. He thought he did, and we have to be really careful that we don't get stuck in what we think we can do. If we say it, we really do need to stand for it, so we better be careful that, podcast on wisdom we better be careful about the kinds of things that we say because we are reflecting godliness or not so learning to fight the right fight here what do
0: we have whenever we fight for our ego to be verified we are inevitably fighting against god our challenge is to continually reduce our ego and fill its space with the instruction of god's word
1: see go ahead
0: Oh, well rick i just wanted to say fighting against god can be subtle and very unintentional now you said that already so you're saying that again I, i'm saying <laughs> it again
1: you are and, and and see here's the thing before we go on to the the next point you know the the, the challenge to to the, the, that we have sometimes is we want our ego verified and peter was in that place you know he said something and he wasn't going to back down He needed to learn the humility that, look, we're all broken human beings, and he inadvertently fought against God. He didn't mean it, and we saw him grow through it later on. So again, you just mentioned fighting against God can be subtle and very unintentional. Let's go on to another example. Fighting against God can be manifest in an attempt to express fidelity to God's truth, but it results in an attitude that divides. The immaturity of this kind of division displays an air of superiority, superiority that does not belong within the body of Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through
0: 13. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you may be complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, let's use the scriptures as our basis, not prejudice of our denominations.
1: Yeah, and you know, in, in this in this verse in the early church, before there were denominations, before we were as far gone as we are now, they still had these these quarrels amongst themselves, and they were looking at, at at Scripture and the Gospel, and they're trying to take a stand. And that's a good thing, to take a stand for truth. I'm absolutely all 100% for that. But when we take a stand at the expense of another, and we and we lock them out, we have to be really careful of that. Because the body of Christ, if those individuals are begotten of the Spirit like we are, I have no right to lock you out. I just don't. If you have the same spirit of, of God that I have, I have no right, and I'd better watch that. And that's why Paul says, when he when he uses the example, he says, wait, did I was I crucified for you? Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Uh-uh. This is not where you are supposed to go. We are supposed to work together. This is hard, and this is inadvertent. This is not intentionally fighting against God, but Paul is showing us that it is doing that. So, learning to fight the right fight. How do we do that here?
0: Fighting against God is easily fed when our desire to do right and be right before God is applied with a backdrop of comparison and competition. Fighting for God requires the humility to recognize we all have liberty in Christ and striving together because of that liberty. So we strive together because of the
1: liberty so that you can see things through your eyes and I can see them through mine and we can maybe build each other up in in, in dealing with that. We need to learn to work together even if we have some disagreements. That's hard, but it's what the body of Christ
0: is supposed to do. Once again, if you didn't catch it, Fighting against God can be subtle and very unintentional. I think you're hung up on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Next example, fighting against God can be an unplanned outcome of not standing against peer pressure. Now, this is different than the example of the nation of Israel. That was a group think. Now we're talking about peer pressure. The result of this lax action, peer pressure, can be a catastrophic example, an excuse for others— to join the wrong fight. Let's look at Galatians chapter two, verses 11 to 14. And again, it's about the apostle Peter.
0: But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews?
1: In other words, Peter, what are you doing? You're saying one thing and you're showing another you're fighting against the principles, not only the principles of righteousness, but what the gospel stands for, leaving all of those other things behind. So this was a huge example of learning to fight against God. Now, Peter gave in, gave in to the authority, to to the presumed authority that these specific Jewish Christians had as they showed up and wanted to be respectful of them, and inadvertently, put others at great risk, and the Apostle Paul thankfully called him out on that. He gave in to peer pressure, and when we do that, we are often fighting against God. Not all peer pressure is bad. So how do we learn to fight the right fight?
0: Satan is an expert at subtly applied pressure. Even the strongest of us can fall prey to the mind-directing power of the influential people around us. To fight for God is to measure the peer pressure we experience against the power and principles of God's will. The result is standing for godliness and being an example of following his will. Compromise is not appropriate. Peer pressure doesn't have to be bad if we have the proper influence.
1: And that's the key. If peer pressure, Jonathan, if, if I'm having a hard time with things, and you and other of the brothers and sisters know that, and you apply pressure to me to stand for that which is right because you have, you're have you standing in godliness and truth, that is awesome peer pressure. And I say bring that on. But we have to make sure that what we're giving into is only looking upward, only scripturally based, not what I think, but what the scriptures tell us. We have to be so careful about that. So all peer pressure isn't bad, it's just that it's too often going to bring us away from and therefore fight against God Almighty.
0: Rick, one more time, right. fighting against God can be subtle and very unintentional.
1: So so Jonathan, are you saying that fighting against God can, can have a subtlety to it?
0: Oh, absolutely, Rick.
1: And you're saying it can be unintentional? It can be okay. I just wanted to make sure because you know you you kind of you <laughs> kind of hinting at that and, and 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 folks, this is such an important thing. The the message here is pay attention because this can happen when we're not even aware. When we are deeply sincere in our dedication to God, we can sometimes be overcome by our own emotional weaknesses. Now, in this next example, we're going to touch. I think probably the hearts of every one of us me included first peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7
0: you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you well, Rick, we're fighting God if we don't cast our anxieties on Him, and it happens to all of us.
1: It does. And, and now, here's the thing here here here's the here's the equation that we we face. We know we have anxiety, and so we pray and we say, "Lord, I'm handing you this anxiety," and maybe we're able to actually do that. And then something happens, and we find ourselves holding it again. It's like, wait, wait, what happened? And, and so, Lord, okay, I, I, I know that I'm supposed to give this to you and you'll take care of me, and we, and we go through this very difficult process. And this is a very human process. And the point here is that we need to understand that by taking the anxiety back, we're actually fighting against God, because we're not giving it to him so he can do what he's supposed to do with it. We're not giving him time, we're not giving him space, we're not giving his providence the ability to unfold. So, Jonathan, here we need to learn to fight the right fight.
0: How do we do that? Fighting against God can be as simple as an inconsistent humility that causes us to take back the cares that we gave to our Father. In this case, fighting for God is fighting to deliver, re-deliver, and deliver once more our cares, knowing that they belong with our Father. They
1: do belong with our Father, and sometimes we have to deliver them again and again and again and again and again because we're just so anxiety ridden. That's okay. Just keep focusing on giving the cares to the Father because otherwise, if we take them back and we mull on them and we brood over them, you know what we're doing? We're fighting against the Father. That's what we're doing. We don't want to go down that road. So fighting against God can happen in so many ways and for so many reasons. It all just means that we need to stay alert.
0: With all the ways we can end up fighting against God, how about some ways to simply fight for God? Ah, Now
1: you're talking. When you think about it, one of the best ways to avoid fighting against God is to be thoroughly immersed in fighting for Him. There are many scriptures that tell us not only how to do this, but also how to be prepared to do this. But for now, we're going to focus on one specific chapter. And it's hard to just pick one chapter to focus on how do you fight for God. But Jonathan, we're going to be looking at a chapter that I think is very, very special and very significant, especially in the life of the Apostle Paul. Tell us a little
0: bit about this chapter. Well, the Apostle Paul's final letter before he was put to death was to his beloved spiritual son, Timothy. In this letter, he is instructing Timothy how to stand for Christ as an example for the flock. We drop in on some verses from chapter 2 as Paul is pouring out ways to stand and fight for God.
1: So, this is his final words of wisdom, if you will, to his spiritual son, Timothy, and it's all about learning to fight the right fight. So Jonathan, let's get started. We're going to be, look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, learning to fight the right fight. Where are we starting?
0: Be cautious to pass on the responsibility of the gospel to those who are proven faithful to the gospel.
1: All right. So be cautious. Make sure the gospel is in the hands of those who should have it in their hands. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2,
0: verses 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of my witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also.
1: Not entrust these to eloquent men. Not entrust these to the intelligent ones. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So he's saying, I'm giving you the gospel. Handle it with with great solemnity and make sure you pass it on to those who will be the same, because it is sacred what we preach and what we teach.
0: Be ever willing to suffer the hardship of a soldier as you stand for the highest godly principles.
1: So that's learning to fight the right fight. Ever willing to suffer hardships, okay, as a soldier. Now, now, as, as we go through this, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, three different ways of serving God. We're going to be looking at being a soldier, being an athlete, and being a farmer. And Paul uses these three examples, I think, to, to give us a sense of how each of us fits into this, that, or the other thing. So this first part of learning to fight the right fight is focused on soldiering, if you will. So we're in uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4.
0: Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier.
1: You know, when we look at the at this the example of a soldier, you know, we've got the armor of God. We've got all of these examples that that the apostle uh, gives us in scriptures. Give us, you know, the first the first Christian con- Jewish uh, Gentile convert. I'm sorry, to Christianity was a soldier. Cornelius, so, that's yes, right. Yeah. So you you know you've got this soldiering that's very 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 important in Scripture. Everybody doesn't fit that kind of, of description though. I mean, for me, Jonathan, I I, I'm, I feel like that fits me. I, I'm I don't the, the soldier aspect is go out there and fight and fight and I want to fight. A soldier is not an indiv- individual. A soldier is part of an army. He's part of a group, part of a battalion. I want to fight with somebody on my right hand and somebody on my left and lots of people behind me, and I wouldn't mind a few people in front of me either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the point is to be a part of fighting the battle for truth and righteousness. So the apostle is telling Timothy, be willing to suffer the hardships of a soldier because it's tough work. Next, learning to fight the
0: right fight. What do we have? Be accountable. To the rules of godliness, succeed outside of scriptural guidelines. Su- I'm sorry, success outside of spiritual guidelines is not success at all. So we want to be successful
1: within our, our Christianity, but you have to do it the right way. This is about the athlete. So we're in Second Timothy two verse five.
0: Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So
1: the athlete works out. And, 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 and trains, and has the coach, and is focused, and is disciplined, and practices, and practices, and practices, and gets out there, and competes with all they have, but they have to complete, compete lawfully. We have to compete lawfully for faithfulness according to Scripture. So the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, make sure that your efforts are lawful according to Scripture just like an athlete. So you can win that prize because it's an amazing prize. Learning to fight the right fight, what's next?
0: Work the works of faith with patience and perseverance. Living a life driven by God needs to be cultivated and patiently developed over time.
1: And this, of course, is the example of the farmer. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6.
0: The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops.
1: So you've got this hardworking farmer and he sows the seed and he develops the seed and it's night and day and night and day and it's and it's sometimes thankless work and you're working from sun sun up to sundown and nobody knows all the work that you're doing. All people know is that there's fruit at the end of the at, at the end of the road, but all of the work is an amazing accomplishment. Well, Rick, where do you see me fitting in? Soldier, <laughs> athlete, farmer? I couldn't
0: figure it out. <laughs>
1: well, I, I don't know. I, I, I see you, Jonathan, more fitting in, in the athlete-type perspective because, you know, for as long as I've known you, you've always wanted to make sure that you do it exactly God's way. And you have that that fierceness of just putting your all into it. And I, and I see that athletic approach to your your Christianity. So that's kind of where I see you. But, you know, I don't want to to lessen— Those who are farmer-like, because the work of cultivating little bit by little bit, time after time, with such patience and such perseverance over that long season cannot be underestimated. And I think probably most of us fit into that category, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's why the Apostle Paul brings it here, and he tells Timothy, be patient like a farmer. Work with patience. Work with perseverance be driven to grow the spiritual fruit that is necessary. So now, as we go further, we're going to jump down a few verses. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 now, still, but now it's going to overall look at verses 15 to 26. We're going to start with 15 to 18, learning to fight the right fight. What's
0: next? Hold the word of truth as sacred while simultaneously avoiding worldly words and chatter. So
1: we've so far we've talked about being cautious, be willing to suffer, be accountable, work the works of faith, now hold the words of truth, words of truth as sacred. 1 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses
0: 15 to 18. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So you have this be
1: diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I don't think it's any accident this comes after being a farmer. You know, the patience and the diligence and the perseverance it takes to rightly divide the word of truth. And then he says, avoid ungodly chatter, because the word of truth is sacred, not a lot of noise. It's sacred. And he said, those ungodly words spread like gangrene. And Jonathan, gangrene is a sign of dying and death. Yes, it is. You stay far away from those things. So you've learned to fight the right fight by holding the word of truth as a sacred thing in your hands and studying it so you know it, so you can better follow it. Next point of learning to fight the right fight, what do we have?
0: Stand for God in purity, and the Lord will recognize you as one of his.
1: So not only do we have to hold the root word of truth as sacred, we now stand for God in purity, and he will recognize you. This is powerful. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 19.
0: Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone whose name names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The Lord knows those who are his.
1: How do you become one of his? you be cautious to pass on the responsibility of the gospel. you be ever willing to suffer the hardships of a soldier. you be accountable to the rules of godliness. You work the works of faith with patience. You hold the word of, word of truth as sacred. You stand for God in purity. These are ways that we stand for God and don't fight against him. And the beautiful thing, Jonathan, is he knows who we are if this is how we're working our lives. doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It just means we have to be putting the effort in on that regular, everyday basis. What a powerful promise it is. The Lord knows those who are his. And when he knows you, he protects you. He loves you. He guides you. He gives you what you need. Learning to fight the right fight. Another one.
0: What do we have? Be a sanctified vessel of honor. Be deliberately cleansing yourselves from the works of dishonor.
1: Now, these verses are really kind of interesting because they're using a very physical picture, but there's a very interesting twist to this physical picture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21.
0: Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So you have
1: vessels in the house. Everybody's got their pots and their pans and their and and their vases and all of these kinds of things. And you've got vessels of gold and silver, those are the good ones. And you've got vessels of wood and earthenware. Those are the average ones, those are the earthly ones. The beautiful thing in the picture is the apostle Paul is saying, "Cleanse yourselves, And you can become, maybe you were a vessel of earthenware, but you can become a vessel of gold by working, by following, by answering the call, by letting God's Spirit work within you, by rising up to these things, by fighting against the flesh and standing for God in all of these things. Remember, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, this is it. This is the last thing you're going to hear from me. These are the important things that he's leaving Timothy with as he's about to end his earthly walk, be sanctified, be a sanctified vessel of honor by deliberately cleansing yourself and God takes care of the rest. And yet there's a little bit more learning to fight the right fight.
0: What's next? Grow up to adulthood and be joined to those who are in, have a pure heart. So grow up that's what he's
1: telling Timothy now, because Timothy is a relatively young man. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul's final writing of his life, this incredible life of service, is to a very young Christian man, who he sees such great potential for faithfulness in. And he says to him, grow up and be joined to those who are pure. In other words, be part of those who have come above earthly thinking. This is our theme scripture. We're in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 22.
0: Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Who call on the Lord from a pure heart.
1: You have to pursue these things. This is how you fight for God. If you're in constant pursuit, you may fall here and there, but your life is showing that you're fighting for him, not against him.
0: The phrase flee youthful lusts makes me think about running away from things in the past that were inappropriate and worldly. Idols can be many things.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, an idol is something that you want to be loyal to. It doesn't have to be a thing. It can be a person. It can be yourself. It can be a hobby. It can be a job. It can be a family. It can be all kinds of different things, but it's something that you want to be loyal to. When it says flee youthful lusts, it's flee those things that you want to be loyal to that take you away from the Father. And that's what he's telling Timothy. This is how we learn to not fight against God, but in fact, fight for him. One final example that we're going to be looking at from this chapter uh, of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 23 to 26, learning to fight the right
0: fight. What's going to come here? Be an example of Christian maturity in your patient, wise, and gentle approach to disagreements so as to afford those in error a pathway back to righteousness. And there's a lot of wisdom in these verses. Go ahead. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to be an example. He's saying, lead the brotherhood to Christ, even if they're going astray, show them the way. Yeah, show
1: them the way, live the way, so they can not only hear you say it, but they can watch you do it with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, so you can bring them up, so you can help them. This is fighting for God. So the Apostle Paul is leaving Timothy with an incredible uh, group of of admonitions that help him to stand for that which is right always. And we can take these and apply them to ourselves. The final bottom line is that God is working in us, and we therefore need to work His will. Philippians 2, 12-13.
0: Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, folks,
1: it really comes down to this. We have choices. We're broken and we're sinful, but we still have choices. We naturally are wired to fight against God. However, the good news is that if we apply ourselves and we take God's spirit and we take the scriptures and the examples of those around us who are truly spiritual and we apply them, we can learn to change that. We can change the tide. We can change our destiny by standing for that which is higher, not lower. And when we're in a group, let's make sure that group is reaching up toward God through scriptural principle not down to the lowest common denominator. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look at the, the people we associate with. Let's look at our flaws and say everything. I want everything in my life to stand for God and not fight against him. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, how can I rejoice in trial? We have an incredible example of a scriptural individual rejoicing in great trial. Talk to you then.